This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A few weeks ago, a sixth set of human remains was found in Lake Mead. And just last week, a Texas woman got confirmation that the fifth body belonged to her father who drowned in the lake 20 years ago. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're going to revisit an episode where I talk with Jeff Schumacher from the Mob Museum about why people think the mob was responsible for the bodies that we keep finding in Lake Mead. It's Thursday, November 10th, 2022. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. What did you have for breakfast, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had uh, some eggs and sausage and a biscuit. Breakfast of champions. Good morning, Jeff Schumacher. Thank you for being on CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. So we called you in because you work at the Mob Museum and you've been there for eight years, you said? So... The water levels in Lake Mead have been dropping, and as they drop, we are seeing human remains. I want to know why every time this happens, people automatically say, it must be the mob. Well, you know, I think that this really started with the first body that was found. The first body was found in a barrel, and the police determined pretty early on that they this individual in the barrel had been shot in the head, and oh. that they believed that this had occurred sometime in the late 1970s or early 1980s. And they did that based on the clothing that was still attached to the to the remains. And so you think about that time in Las Vegas. The mob is very active in Las Vegas during that period of time. There's a lot of conflict between the mob and law enforcement and prosecutors. The FBI has been ramping up its investigation of the mob. And there are people, you know, turning state's evidence and there are individuals who are informants. And so the mob is getting very nervous, and we're starting to see the bodies pile up as a result at that time. Some of those individuals went missing, and it's natural to think that if somebody <laughs> took the effort to shoot somebody in the head, put stuff their body into a barrel, mm. and then take it out to Lake Mead and drop it into the lake, that there's something a bit coordinated about that, and that perhaps that was something the mob might have done. Right. Um, so I think that that is where it all started. The The other three sets of remains that have been found uh, do appear, uh, we don't have definitive information yet, but they appear to be drowning victims. I mean, that's horrible across the board, just thinking about, yes, somebody methodically put somebody's body into Lake Mead, but then, yeah, if people are drowning in it, then, you know, is it, how safe is that area? Are we watching our people and are our people watching themselves? I made the terrible joke that I hope they bleep out, but I'm just going to tell you my terrible joke. But I was like, I can just imagine old mob bosses being like, back in my day, if you put a body in Lake Mead, then it stayed there. But 
it's like this combination of both the proof of that our climate is changing, that th- that our mm-hmm. lake is in danger, and that some really shady dealings were occurring. Why do you think we romanticize the mob in Las Vegas? The first thing I have to say is the Mob Museum does not romanticize the mob in Las Vegas. We try very hard to be very objective and and to not glorify crime in any way. Mm-hmm. We tell you the story of what happened, and we also tell you how law enforcement responded to it. So we're yeah, not in the business of romanticizing it, but there is no question that many Las Vegans do do that. And they talk about, oh, you know, Las Vegas was better when the mob ran it. It was safer. It was more fun, et cetera. And my answer to that typically is, well, it was a very different place then. It was a much, much, much smaller community. You know, we have big city problems today. We have, it's an urban area. And if you go back to the 1970s, and I, I moved here as a child in 1977, it was a very different place. If you went to a casino, in my case, my parents went to a casino in 1977 and they spent some time there, you know, they went there on a regular basis. They could, in fact, receive that really wonderful service that everybody talks about where they know your name, they comp you the dinner, they they find you a seat at the Frank Sinatra show, all that kind of stuff that people romanticize. That's completely impractical today. Think about how many rooms there are at the MGM Grand. You know, there's 5,000 rooms, which suggests 10,000 people are there at any one time and several thousand employees. That's a pretty big, small town right there just within the confines one of the MGM Grand. Yeah. So how are you going to know people's names? How are you going to do that? Right. And I, I don't know. That's the only part that I'm like, I wish that I could go and see is that even though it sounds unimaginable to walk into a Vegas casino and they're like, hey, Vogue, welcome back. <laughs> One, I hope I'm not there that often. <laughs> but on the other side of it, you know, it's like Vegas is cheers. Uh, but the, I don't know, the, the rubbing of hands, the shaking of hands and, and this tit for tat. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So with the discovery of these bodies in Lake Mead, do you think that that's increasing the romanticizing of the mob, or do you think it's making people look at it from a different perspective? Well, I think a a couple of things that people are thinking about right now, that at least that I've heard, one is there's this mystery, right? Who's the body in the barrel? And who Mm -hmm. is this person? And if it was a victim of the mob, what kind of answers can we come up with once we know the identity? How is this fill fit that puzzle piece in that was missing before. And so, you know, there's a natural curiosity. I think humans are curious about mysteries. They love true crime mysteries, especially mm-hmm. like what what happened, who did it. So that's the first thing I think people are curious about. The second thing is it it gives rise to mem- rise to memories, right? People look back if they're longtime Las Vegans, this is an occasion to go think about what what Las Vegas was like at that time and how it was different. You know, one of the things that was very common in the late 70s was that stories about the mob, one kind or another, 
were on the front page of the newspaper almost every day. Oh. And they were on the evening news, the local evening news every evening. This was something that was part and parcel of our city, the fabric of the city, in a way that today different kinds of stories are on the news every day, you know, whether it's pandemic related or, you know, other horrible things that are happening today. But at that time, you know, it was the mob that was like always in the news. And it was a time when uh, people romanticize it. But in fact, there was a great deal of violence uh, related to the mob and law enforcement was extremely aggressive with its surveillance tactics, its handling of crime suspects in a way that it was just outsized. It was oversized for the size of the town. All right. Does the Mob Museum help with identifying the people's bodies? Well, we are interested in this story because we think we can be helpful from a historical standpoint. We've done a lot of research. Of course, the police have a lot of their own research, and it's it's their job, right, to dig out all this background information and see who possibly could be in the barrel. But we can be helpful, too. And we, we have on our staff and within our resources a lot of information about people that went missing at the time, about the context of why they might have gone missing, who were the power players when it came to organized crime in town, who who might have been responsible for something like this. So we are just like anybody else. We're curious. And we also feel like we need to be knowledgeable about it because a lot of our guests are coming in the front door of the museum asking us, asking our staff questions about this. Like, what do you guys know about the body in the barrel? And so we need to make sure that our staff are up to speed on on the latest information. I'm a journalist at heart. I was a journalist for 25 years before I came to the Mob Museum. And one of my colleagues, Jeff Burbank, is is also a former journalist. And so it's sort of in our blood that we we want to find out what's going on, even if, in theory, as a museum, it's kind of an odd thing to do. Huh. I don't know. I think I like that. And I think, yeah, if it's a museum, it's still you want facts, but you you want the narrative, you want the story, too. And the fact that people are asking you questions and want to know more information. So then, boom, there's the curiosity and there's you, you know, you're providing the product that people want. Do you think that the Mob Museum would ever have an exhibit related to this? It's going to take a while for them to identify. I mean, as far as I know, it could take a while for the police to identify the the body in the barrel. If when they do identify the body in the barrel, it turns out to be a victim of a mob hit, then I think that would be the, uh, so to speak, the trigger for us to, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, for us to uh, create a, create an exhibit about it. Because at that point, it will have taken on a much greater dimension that, you know, really so many questions will be coming up from our guests and we're going to need to have an exhibit just to address it. So I do think so. I think we're hoping to do that down the road. Do we know anything for sure about how the mob disposed of their victims in Las Vegas? You know, what's kind of interesting about this this body in the barrel is that this is really the first time I have encountered, and, and I think many people have encountered, a situation where a murder victim was disposed of in Lake Mead. What you hear about more, more commonly in Las Vegas is that mob victims or other victims are buried out in the desert or they're dumped out in the desert. Because one of the old stories about Las Vegas is that it's a tourist town, right? Mob rule was you don't commit murders within the city limits because it's bad for business. 
bad mm. for publicity. Mm. So what you do is you you dispose of these bodies out in the desert somewhere. And we know that that happened. And there were prominent cases where bodies were found in the desert or they were even buried in the desert and were discovered later. And I imagine there are a few out there that have not been discovered yet. But this is really the first time we've heard about a, uh, a burial in the lake. Now, that's interesting because when you talk about the mob's history back east, you constantly hear about bodies dumped into rivers, bodies dumped into lakes, bodies dumped into the ocean. One of the most prominent mob hit disposal stories has to do with a man named Johnny Roselli. And Johnny Roselli actually had a lot of Las Vegas connections. He lived here for many years. I guess his fellow mob guys thought he was talking a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. He was testifying before Congress about some things, and they didn't like it. He ended up getting killed. His body was stuffed into a barrel, and he was dumped into the ocean outside of Miami. Now, the thing is, the, in that case, I'm sure the just like they did at Lake Mead, the mob or who the killers expected that that barrel would go to the bottom of the sea and never to be found again. Mm-hmm. In the case of Johnny Roselli, for whatever reasons, his, his barrel bobbed up to the surface and it was found by a couple of fishermen. Oh. And yeah, so we now know exactly what happened to Johnny Roselli. But uh, there was a case of a barrel and a mob victim dumped into the ocean. In that case, it didn't stay buried either. Yeah, all I can think of is, you know, all the movies where it's like, take care of him. And it's like, you, you just know what that means. <laughs> right, right. So based on what the research y'all have been doing at the Mob Museum, what other victims do you think could could be in the lake? Like, is there a missing person where you're like, that guy, maybe that guy's in the lake? There's a There are a few names of individuals that we have identified as people who were victims of, we believe were victims of mob violence who went missing. And we've identified these individuals and said, you know what, these may not be the body in the barrel, but these are some some prospects, if you will, people who, if it is in fact a mob hit, it, it might be one of these individuals. So one of those that has been most prominent in our mind is a man named Johnny Pappas. And Johnny Pappas went missing in 1976. Pappas worked for Argent Corporation. And Argent Corporation was a front for the Chicago mob. And what Johnny Pappas did is he ran the Echo Bay Marina out at Lake Mead for Argent Corporation. So Johnny Pappas was kind of an important person for Argent, for the Stardust. And so in August of 1976, he was told his wife that he was going to meet someone who wanted to buy his boat. In other words, I guess he had his own boat out at Lake Mead as well as having the boat that was owned by the Stardust. Well, Johnny Pappas never came home. And later, three days later, his vehicle was found at Circus Circus. So definitely a mystery there. Whatever happened to Johnny Pappas, you know, we're trying to find out whether maybe he knew something that he was planning to tell the, you know, tell the police. Maybe he uh, had crossed somebody within the organization in a way that might have, in their mind, warranted his his demise. I don't know. Uh, we're still researching that. But Johnny Pappas is a potential pot, uh, person in the barrel. Another one is a, a man named William Crespo. And William Crespo was uh, di- disappeared in the early 1980s. 
And in his case, he was involved in the drug drug trade, but he was going to, again, going to become a government witness against the mob. And mm. he strangely disappeared. <laughs> and then a third one that we, a name that we have ventured out is Jay Vandermark. And Jay Vandermark was a very prominent figure at the Stardust who was actually a, a character plays him in the movie Casino. No. But he was this, yeah, he was the slot machine manager and um, he was involved in the skim, the money that was taken off the top mm-hmm. by the mob back in those days. And Vandermark disappeared. Now, the only thing about Vandermark is that there was court testimony in 2007 at a very prominent mob trial in Chicago called the Family Secrets Trial. And during that trial, a man named Nick Calabrese, who had been a hitman for the mob, he testified that Jay Vandermark was murdered in Phoenix and that his body was buried in the desert outside of Phoenix. And there was a fourth individual now that is kind of an interesting one, a man named Bobby Eugene Shaw, and he went missing in 1977. And last week, his sister came forward and said she fears that the body in the barrel was was her brother. And uh, he was involved, uh, as far as we can tell, with the mob in Las Vegas, that he was involved in prostitution, and he was involved in some other criminal activities, and that he ended up going missing. So we don't know a lot about that story yet, but these are four individuals who have, whose names have come up, all of whom went missing during that period of time. Wow. So my last question for you is... What do you feel is missing from the conversation as people talk about these victims and people whose bodies are found in Lake Mead? You know, I think what's missing so far, and we hope to, of course, rectify this, but the families of these victims are starting to realize, or these potential victims, you know, the people I've mentioned, are starting to come forward and starting to want to know more about this story because what if it is one of their family members? I spoke with someone uh, yesterday who was related to one of the individuals I mentioned earlier, and it was off the record, and it was not something that I could share in terms of details. But what I can tell you is that this family member said that this family has been was devastated in when this person disappeared. They had no idea. This was a very charismatic person. And a very big part of the family unit. And when that person disappeared without a trace, it really damaged the family. And it's t- it took them years and years and years to maybe come to the realization that this individual was not coming back. And mm-hmm. so I would say that what's missing right now is that empathy for the actual victim and for the victim's family. Because that is always an important part of these missing person's cases is like, yeah, we can all have our fun with it, speculating. But what we're ultimately speculating about is the life of someone who was part of a family. And I think it's important to understand that. Yeah, I agree. Man, Jeff Schumacher, thank you so much for your curiosity and the work that you're doing. Thank you for the good things you've done for the literary community as well. But for today, thank you for being on CityCast Las Vegas. Well, thank you very much. And if we have new information, maybe we'll come back and update your listeners on the body in the barrel. We'll see. 
Before you go, a few things you should know. COVID-19 is back in season. Cases have jumped by 65% in Clark County over the last week. And that's just the reported cases. Since a lot of people test at home, a large number of COVID cases will fly under the radar. Meanwhile, comedian Jimmy Kimmel, who spent a chunk of his childhood in Vegas, will be given the key to the Las Vegas Strip tomorrow. The ceremony will happen in Kimmel's Comedy Club in the Link Promenade. We hear the key opens the door to any buffet on the Strip. Use it wisely, Mr. Kimmel. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Did you enjoy the show? Learn something new about old Vegas? Here are four things you can do to show us some love. One, subscribe to our morning newsletter. Two, leave us a review. Three, go rate the show. Four, then go tell a friend. Talk soon. Talk soon.